saving the world starts with you. And you don't have to be a superhero to get it done. All you need to do is be more sustainable and make your habits more environmentally friendly. Sustainable U is here today to show you how. Sustainable U is underwritten in part by Terhune Orchards, 330 Cold Soil Road, Lawrence, 200 acres of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Rye University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green, Team Toyota of Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market, open all year round. Now let's learn how to thank Mother Nature for her nurture with today's segment of Sustainable You. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, live from Clarence Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. We are back. I'm one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I am joined by... Julissa Malvern. So, to kick things off this week with the continual weird weather, like, I mean, look, the summer is winding down, it is coming to a close, and I gotta say, all I can say about this summer is that the weather has been absolutely crazy. Very, very crazy. The very weather. Inclement. Yeah. And I know, I know I even mentioned the weather last week at the very beginning of last episode. I mean, yeah. it just continues to be really weird. It, it It's raining so much more than any other summer that I can really remember. What is this? April and August? I know, really. July? It, it really does feel like, uh, it really does feel like April and, and, uh, and May. Yeah. Um, but actually, and th- that has a little bit to do with what I'm about to talk about. Um, so Jakarta, it, Jakarta is a city, it's actually the capital uh, of Indonesia. And one of the biggest and most dangerous issues that Jakarta is facing right now is that the water level is rising at a very alarming rate. So basically for reference, uh, anywhere, like if for the U.S., the water level rises about... About, I think it's about three centimeters every year. About three centimeters. Um, and that's a good amount. That is a good amount. Because if you think about that, in 10 wow. years, that's a foot. That's a foot in 10 years. And eventually, that's going to climb up on our shores. I, I could be wrong with three. It might be two or something. But it's definitely in the centimeters. I'll tell you that. It's definitely in the centimeters. Um, well, with Jakarta, the water level is rising at 25 centimeters every year. 25 centimeters that is almost a foot of water that is rising every year and you can't even build a dam to counter that because in 10 years that dam is going to be breached anyway and then it's just going to make a worse problem like Mm -mm. you can't even counter this this is such a big issue and what's scary about this is that according to this article from the bbc um it says that based on how current rates are looking uh, judging that it keeps going up, you know, 25 centimeters every year. It wow. they are suggesting that by 2050 about 95% of North Jakarta is going to be submerged. Oh yeah. 95%. So, if you picture just- picture it this way. Imagine the whole continental US, imagine 95% of the continental US being totally submerged. That leaves you with about the state of Hawaii as the remainder. Wow. That leaves you with about Hawaii as the remaining amount of land. Think um, of 2012, like when, when everything just was submerged and everything in Africa was only left. But that's just the kind of like the same thing. Oh, you're talking about the movie, right? The movie, I was yeah. going to say, because that did not happen in real yeah, life. I was around I was, for that. I was talking about. <laughs> but um, 
when you're thinking about it, um, that's 120 inches um, in 10 years if it's rising per year, and that's about 10 feet. It's 10 feet, yeah. And um, if you do that in 30 years, um, that right now it's 2018, and that's about 32 more years. If you do the math, that would definitely submerge it over. And that's that's really bad. What are people going to do? Like, are they going to flee um, Jakarta or move, yeah. move somewhere like um, closer? Exactly. It's Malaysia. a big it's yeah, it's a big problem and it's not even just Jakarta that has to worry about it. It's the surrounding land around Jakarta has to worry about it too because once Jakarta is submerged, they're next. They're next on the list. Yeah. Even some cities that are somewhat inland, you know, come, you know, 100 years from now, if nothing changes, then they very well could be going underwater too. And that I'm not even saying that this rise in water is necessarily all from global warming. I mean, I I want to say it's heavily from global warming, but it could also be because of strange weather patterns. I like like I said over here, we've been going through a strange weather pattern. If I'm not mistaken actually, this year actually might be an El Nino year. This might be an El Nino year from what I've heard. You did mention that um meaning that weather patterns are basically reversed. Areas that usually get a lot of rain don't get a lot of rain areas that don't usually get a lot of rain do get a lot of rain it's it's totally reversed so um i'm not too sure about the climate of jakarta um i know it's in that that asian area where monsoons are definitely an issue there i know monsoons are a problem that it's very hard to effectively counter that um but i think that maybe they might be having a strange weather pattern too maybe el nino is affecting them so i'm not 100 percent sure if the the uh, projection of 25 centimeters every year is going to stay like that. I'm not sure if it's going to be 25 centimeters every year, but if it does, there's really nothing else they can do. Like I said, they cannot even build a dam to keep the water out because in due time, that is going to be breached anyway. And like you said, 120 inches every 10 years, that is 10 feet. Over the span of 30 years, that is uh, that's 30 feet. It's crazy. It's it's really crazy because each year is almost a foot. Each year is almost a foot of water. And that is absolutely insane that you're going through a foot of water every year. Like, I'm trying to picture that really in, in a pool. If you look at a pool, if you go 10 feet deep in a pool, that's pretty deep really. Like, honestly, that's enough to make your ears kind of pop a little bit. You feel that pressure when you dive all the way down in a 10-foot pool. Imagine what it would be diving in a 30-foot pool, you know? That's, that's, I, I, like, it's hard for me to even picture that because I don't even want to think about the U.S., anywhere in the U.S. I don't even want to think about anywhere in the U.S. having to go through anything like this because it's sad to say, but basically, this whole area in Indonesia, it's going to be underwater. There, at this point, there's almost nothing that can be done to save Jakarta. It's, like, it's sad. It, it really, it's it's their fate, really. Um, like I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at pictures, and yeah, the pictures. There are just buildings, just flooded, just like feet of stagnant water, and it's not even really receding because there's nowhere the water can go. The water exactly. has basically risen to that level already, and that's its base level. That's its base level. That's without tide. That's without anything else. It really cannot even be drained. And 
you know, you can't live in a building that has two feet of stagnant water in it and is constantly going up quite literally by the day. It is going up by yeah. the day. You can't live in a building like that. So what that does, it forces people to move further inland and then that makes more uh, populous, dense areas and eventually it's going to keep pushing everyone to one area and I don't know. I'm saying hypothetically, if an earthquake were to happen in an area, that'd be so much more dangerous yeah. for that earthquake to happen in that area where it is more dense in population than if it were spread out. So yeah. this is really a whole dangerous situation for more than one reason. One, because you have a whole piece of land that is literally being engulfed in water. It's being absolutely submerged. And two, it makes it more dangerous for future uh, issues that that we we can't really even control. We can't even yeah. we can't control if an earthquake happens or not. I mean, it's we just can't. a sad truth to it. Just like volcanoes. I know. Um, I'm not too sure on the current status of Hawaii, but I know um, at one point recently, at least, Hawaii was going. It was undergoing um, volcanic eruptions, a lot of volcanic eruptions, and it was crazy seeing those videos because you would see you would see people walking on the streets. And lava would just be right behind them. It's mm -hmm. It was so weird to see that. But, you know, you can't control that. But what we can do is we can control how much pollution goes in our air and yeah. and what we can do to help stop this. Because mm. I genuinely think that... And there is, there is scientific evidence to back this up. This isn't me just saying it. There is scientific evidence to back it up. But I do genuinely think that all the pollution in the air... It all culminates together, and it makes the weather patterns really weird. I mm -hmm. Look, I know I mentioned that this is an El Nino year, but look, we've had El Ninos in the past, and it hasn't been this weird. We, we've never had weather this weird, at least not in my life, at least. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like this all has to do with, maybe not all has to do, but has something to do with climate change, with all the weird weather that's happening around the world. I know, Julie said not too long ago, I know we mentioned um, the heat wave happening in Europe, actually. Yeah. That's something that I think they said some parts of, of Europe only go through heat wave one in every 30 years. Yeah. And now it's going to be like one in every 15 or one in every 10 or something. That's very crazy. Um, and not just the pollution, it's the greenhouse gases too. Like, um, and sea level rising, um, all those um, ice caps melting, that kind of um, creates more sea level um, throughout the whole entire um, globe. And this is a global issue. It's not just in Jakarta, but it's in Europe and elsewhere. And um, even on the Jakarta map, they showed you uh, the amount of water that accumulated um, in the past 40 years from 1977 to 2017. And they said that it's um, been very um, drastically different in terms in terms of um, just just the amount of sea, the amount of water that has accumulated yeah i mean it, it's really crazy it's crazy looking at times from i mean if you think about it 40 years is not even that long ago i mean mm -mm. granted i mean it was before my life but yeah. 40 years in the grand scheme of things was not that long ago what do you say you said 1977 right 1977 i mean that was like that was like vietnam war era like that's that's really not that long ago yeah um and, and to think that there was that much of a difference since then to now it's scary. It, mm -hmm. it really shows that 
it was probably at that point, really, in the late 70s, early 80s, when climate change really started becoming a thing. But it only took until, like, the 2000s for people to really realize it. Yeah. You know, people were in denial, probably denial, or just didn't realize it for about 20 years. And they didn't really know what to do about it. I mean, this whole thing with Jakarta, it's it's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking because there is truly nothing that can actually be done about this. Um, granted, things can be done to help slow it down. If if every country on, around the world collectively decides to severely reduce its greenhouse gas production, um, that would help a lot. But even still, the ice caps will continue to melt a little bit at least. And it might take longer, but Jakarta is basically going to be submerged. It. It's really sad to see that, really, because Jakarta was a pretty... It's a pretty big city, too. It's a big city. And that's a pretty big blow, not only to Indonesia, but, like, the world, really, because it's pretty industrial as well. And that's another thing. you got to think, when it's submerging everything, think of all the pollutants that the water's going to be absorbing from all the buildings that are in, you know? It's going to be absorbing so many pollutants from the buildings, and that's going to spread through the water. It's going to make the water toxic, too. It's a really big problem, and... It's sad to say there's just probably not much that can really be done about it. But unfortunately, we do have to take a break on Sustainable U. We'll be right back on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable U. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, live from Clarence Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I'm one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I'm joined by... Julissa Malvern. So continuing on from what we were talking about earlier with Jakarta and the weather and all that not-so-fun stuff, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the weather right now. So it turns out that according to NOAA, um, there actually are going to be... They're, they're predicting. They're predicting there are going to be less hurricanes this year than expected originally and i gotta say i am surprised about that i am actually very surprised about that because as i've mentioned in the opening of like almost every episode this summer the weather has been crazy this summer there's been a lot of rain this summer and it would to me it would make sense that there would be a lot of hurricanes this year but i also do remember that some years, some summers that it was really dry, that was when there actually have been really bad hurricanes. Yeah. Even last summer. Last summer was pretty dry. Oh. We had a pretty dry summer last year. We had um, a horrible hurricane season, too. Yeah, really bad hurricane season. Mm-hmm. So, I, this is, I, I might just be learning something here. I don't even know for sure, but maybe there's a correlation between total precipitation during the summer and then hurricane season later on. I don't know. It could also have something to do with um, with the whole El Nino thing. I know that I mentioned yeah. that this is an El Nino year and that kind of changes the whole weather pattern and all that. So mm-hmm. it makes me wonder a little bit if... No, well, El Nino definitely does affect it. I know El Nino definitely does affect the amount of hurricanes. But overall, I think this is a really good thing. This is a really good thing that there's not supposed to be as many hurricanes this year. Because we all know the devastation that Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma had last year. They yeah. absolutely, they they did a lot of damage. They did a lot of damage to both Florida and Texas. And the worst thing about Harvey with Texas is they were not prepared. Because 
they're not used to hurricanes. Mm-mm. That's that's not a hurricane state. Florida, at least Florida, is usually equipped for hurricanes because they get hurricanes like every year, every like, year or every other year, or some some somewhere around that. And just some certain places around the globe are more um, prone to certain weather conditions, like we know that. And yeah, um, we talked about California; they're prone to wildfires and mm-hmm. mudslides and earthquakes, also. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And you know what? I hmm. Maybe the reason why California is going through such bad wildfires right now, well, it's clearly because they're not getting a lot of precipitation. But that yeah. probably also has to do with El Nino, because. Like I said, El Nino totally changes all the weather patterns. So they're probably not getting any precipitation, really. And we're getting all the precipitation. Mm -hmm. Now, I know California is usually a pretty dry area, but it is much drier than usually expected there. Yeah. There has... Obviously, if there was rain, then the wildfires would probably be out by now. The wildfires would be out because I know there was a really big fire in uh, Yellowstone National Park that happened some time ago. Probably at least twenty years ago. I don't. I don't remember exactly when. I, I mean, I remember that. I, <laughs> I think I read. I read about right. an elementary school. Yeah. I read about an elementary school. Was but it nineteen ninety seven? That actually sounds. No, ninety seven sounds right to me. Ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety six. Yeah. And the thing is, that. these firefighters tried for a month to try to put out this huge fire that was only becoming worse and worse and worse. And the one thing that put it out, rain nature itself put out the huge fire that was ravaging all of Yellowstone National Park. So it makes me wonder if something similar is going to kind of happen over there with uh, with rain. I wonder yeah. if rain will be the true hero here where it helps what all these firefighters are doing. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely appreciate every single firefighter that is doing everything they can. My heart goes out to you. If you're a firefighter and you're fighting this fire because yeah. it is life-threatening, it is dangerous, and I have yeah. nothing but respect for you if you are putting out and you're putting everything on the line just to help stop that fire. Huge, huge, huge respect because it's so dangerous. And I have respect for any firefighter, really, because it's such a dangerous thing. And they're risking their life every time that they're on call, you know? But they do it anyway, and they do such a good thing. So getting back to hurricanes, it's a good thing that there aren't going to be as many uh, as many hurricanes this year because, as I mentioned before, there's some areas that just aren't as prepared for hurricanes as others. I mean, mm-hmm. also, I mean, even if you look back at Hurricane Katrina in yeah. that was in New Orleans, right? I'm pretty sure New Orleans, New Orleans, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. in 2005, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean. They still have not 100% recovered from, they from Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina yet. Um, I know they just, it's crazy. Even even out here in New Jersey, I know it was much more recent than Katrina, but Hurricane Sandy, 2012, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, actually, he's a contractor. He deals with a lot of houses that are Sandy houses, and they're abandoned, mm-hmm. you know, and he has to go in there and clean it all up. It. They, they do so much damage. And yeah. to hear that there aren't going to be as many hurricanes this year, it's it's a bit of a sigh of relief for everyone, really, because nobody wants to have to put up with all the damage and chaos from, from these hurricanes because they're dangerous. Hurricanes are dangerous. I know Sandy probably... I know Sandy, you know, it it took a few people's lives. It was, it was a big hurricane. And with Sandy, 
all the conditions, it was basically anything that could go wrong went wrong with Sandy. It was a full moon. It was high tide when the worst of it was happening and really strong winds too. It wasn't actually like a category five or anything, but like, I think it was a category two. I think it might've been a category two and just look at the damage that did. I couldn't even imagine if it was a hurricane five going to New Jersey. That would have just blown everything, everybody. Yeah. And um, even I live pretty close to the beach. I live about um, eight miles out. And I said, if it was category five, we would have been had to evacuate our house. Yeah. I mean, I remember because I actually at my old house in Tom's River, uh, I lived very close to I live very close to the bay. Um, mm-hmm. I lived probably about a quarter mile away from the bay. Um, mm-hmm. And I at night, my parents, they saw a police car going down the street with its lights on and all that, um, probably to respond to someone that needed help. And all of a sudden, we saw it roll back. And, like, no reverse lights or anything. It just rolled back. And then we turned on the lights after we tried to do it again. We found out that the water was literally on our doorsteps. It was right... It was so close to coming into our house. But, thankfully, that was the highest point that it ever reached that night. It didn't get any higher. If it got any higher, we would have had a lot of house damage. Yeah. But, thankfully, our house is on a little bit of a hill. So it had some way to go, but there were other streets there. I mean, there were other houses on my street that they had to almost completely redo their house, like their house. My best friend, he had to redo almost his whole entire house just so he could live in it again. It's really crazy. And that's the downfall of just living in New Jersey or any coastal area because you're prone to new nor'easters, especially on the East Coast, um, New Jersey, any um, um, state that is on the Atlantic Ocean line. And that's, you know, that's another thing. I, I heard you mentioned uh, Nor'easter. It was so crazy because the next week after Hurricane Sandy, there was a Nor'easter that literally it brought in snow. I, it brought in snow. Do you remember that? I don't remember it. I remember it because I was out of power for 10 days in my house. 10 days. And mind you, this was in late October, beginning of November. It spanned, it was between the two. And it was very cold in my house. We didn't have any heat. I was, I literally could see my breath in the house. That, that's how cold it was. Um, I would wear a blanket every day. I would wear like four blankets going to bed. It was insane. And that one night when the nor'easter hit, I went to my uncle's house. And about an hour later after I showed up, I remember there was just, oh, it was like a blizzard outside. It was insane. I've never seen wow. anything like it. It was the weirdest weather I've ever seen. I think that only a week later, there was like a nor'easter. Um, so that was definitely a really weird time, but the only thing that kind of worries me a little bit, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the one thing that worries me a little bit is because maybe there are not going to be a lot of hurricanes this season, it makes me worry what if two or three seasons from now, there's way more than normal. Cause that, that's the kind of thing that like could happen. Like hypothetically, like it could happen. I mean, just like there are some dry summers, there are some really wet summers, and that's kind of what's happening this year. We had a dry summer last year. We're having a very wet summer this year. Granted, I think there's a little bit of a correlation. So I feel like in the future, if we have more really wet summers, who knows? Maybe around here we won't get so many hurricanes. I'm not trying to claim I'm a meteorologist here, not by any means. I I know nothing 
about the kind of like about the kind of weather stuff. I I don't know anything, but yeah, I'm just I'm making just an observation here that may or may not be true. I I feel like there's got to be some sort of correlation, and I feel that whenever it's a really wet summer, it's not going to be as bad of a hurricane season. So, despite the gloom of kind of this whole summer, really, this whole summer has kind of been like so gloomy and dark and just uninspiring it's been so uninspiring really just like looking outside because it's just always yeah. so dark and gloomy i i know i don't i don't want to do anything when i go outside now Me because either. like it's just almost every day is so dark and cloudy and i work outside every day i like honestly it, it gets like it gets kind of depressing like having to go yeah, to work every day and it's just it's so dark and gloomy but if that means that we're going to be safer and kind of more protected in a sense from from hurricanes from happening. Honestly, I'll take it. I'll honestly take that. I think that's a very fair trade-off because I don't want to have to deal with another big hurricane, much like Sandy. Um, thankfully, where I live now, I don't live right on the shore. I actually live a little bit away from the shore. Um, I don't live a quarter of a mile from the bay either. I live... Probably, I live probably about like 20 miles away from the ocean now. So at least we don't have to worry about ocean flooding anymore. But still, it, it, it's what well, I think it's a good thing that it's going to be a less active summer for hurricanes. It just, it kind of makes me think a little bit about the future, about what's going to be happening in the next few seasons because there's always some sort of correlation with one year weather, there's always some sort of correlation with another year. Um, that's just, you know, that's usually how it is. Weather usually follows patterns. And I'm kind of interested to see what the future brings for us in other future weather patterns. Unfortunately, however, we do have to take a quick break on Sustainable U after a few short underwriting announcements on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable U. Yeah! 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com live at Corny's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I'm one of your hosts, Jaleesa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So in this third segment of our episode, we'll be talking about um, hydro, um, I think hydroponics, ponics, like um, hydroponic water. And basically, um, there's a um, guy who he owns like kind of like um, like a um, farm and his um, his name's Ron. And he, basically he turns um, he um, tests his water before um, using it to um, produce fertilizer. And the um, water is um, cleaned and it's um, used to um to, to kind of um, nourish the seeds and basically the seeds for the fertilizer, um, any excess water that um, gets um, put out is reused and um, um, uh, enriched with nutrients. I love it. I just, I love hearing the word reuse. I absolutely love it. It's, it's one of my favorite words because it just means nothing is wasted whatsoever. There is, there's no waste in this process. Everything is utilized. And I think what's so cool about this process is every drip, every drop of water is used because they use a system where they they uh, they literally drip in the water, and there's really no soil. There's really no soil. Um, the roots kind of they just they float in a very small pool of water, very small pool of water. It's 
very shallow. It's just enough for for the uh, for the plant to live, have enough room for their roots to spread out. They drip in the water and they just let it sit there. And then once that plant is done growing, the water is then drained and it's like they put like more nutrients in it. And then that fertilized water is then turned into what they call like water tea. They like water they, tea. It's called it's tea. Funny. Yeah, it, it's not actually tea. You can't mm-hmm. even you can't really drink it. I mean, okay, I guess you could. It probably Maybe. wouldn't probably wouldn't taste that good though. Uh uh-uh. uh. I don't think it would taste good. But um, and then it's just super super fertile, rich water. Really really good for growing stuff. And then they use that. And then they use that to grow other stuff. And then it's a repeating cycle. It it really is perfect. It is one of the most perfect things imaginable. Like I said, I love the word reuse. It's a wonderful word. Reuse is good. It even reminds me of something that I know a while ago. I shared this on my personal Facebook. It had to do with... Um, in fact, we might have even talked about it on the show. I, I'm not too sure. I don't remember, actually. My, if I did, it was a while ago. Um... It was about a reusable fish farm. It was about a more environmentally friendly fish farm. In oh, yeah, which I remember that. I think we did talk about it. We I think did. we took, yeah. It was a while ago, though. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. It was probably a month ago. I'm not, I, it was something like that. Not too long ago, but yeah. they there are these people. They set up these nets. They make it this really wide range thing. So the fish feel like it's still an open range area. They're not super confined. Um, they eat, like, they eat organic food, and then, uh, we take the fish, oh no, I remember what we do, we actually, we have seaweed grow on these lines, and then the fish eat the seaweed, and then we take the fish, we grow more seaweed, and then whatever the waste of the fish is, we put that in the water for more, like, fertilizer for the seaweed, nothing's wasted, nothing is wasted in that process, it is a wonderful process, and, that's one of the biggest problems with with fish farming with that is that these fish are put into areas that are they're just simply not humane for the fish. Um, like if you look at tilapia farms, like they're disgusting. Tilapia farms are absolutely disgusting. There's so many tilapia in a tiny little pool of water and it's not clean. It's just it's simply not clean. Um, and the great thing about this whole hydroponic thing now is that Nothing is wasted, and this is the most efficient form of growing plants. Now, there are other very efficient ways of growing plants. There is uh, drip irrigation in which plants are still planted in soil, like usual, traditional, planted in soil. Um, And there's there's a sensor actually underground, and it administers whatever water is needed for that plant, like based on its need. It's like, it's super high tech. And in fact, even uh, even our our fellow uh, our fellow friend Pam Mount at uh, at Terhune Orchard, she was telling me about that on uh, a broadcast I had not too long ago with her, a little over a month ago, with uh, the Blueberry Bash there, which is a fun event by the way. Um, she was telling me how they actually use very sustainable technology at that farm, and they use drip irrigation for everything they grow. And to think that's a local farm. Terhune Orchards is a local farm, and. There are, there are, I'm sure there are other small farms too that, that do something like that. But me, I love hearing and seeing that local businesses near us are even using such advanced technology like that. They're using, they're trying to be as environmentally friendly as they can while 
they probably it's like it's they're not a huge corporation i mean it's a big farm terhunes is a big farm beautiful farm i've been there before plenty mm-hmm. of times um but you know it's not like they're like a huge corporation that has money to do everything and anything they want you know they did this because they were thinking about the environment in the process when they were building this farm they were thinking about it and they thought that it'd be totally worth it and over time probably cheaper to install this drip irrigation system not only is the drip irrigation system um, sustainable for the environment, but it's very organic, the process um, that um, the guy was making his fertilizer in, with and um, how he's testing the water to see if the level's okay and how it's like um, it's neutralized with nutrients and um, for the um, fertilizer. And um, hopefully you will have um, more companies who do this, um, not um, um, more like um, Terhune Orchards and his and um that's just amazing way to um plant um plant um plants or just anything yeah i agree um i mean he was probably testing to make sure that like even after that water is being used like the ph and all that was was still in check it was still good ph because that's the thing a lot of um the plants they rely off of good water they need good water to grow they can't be having water with rust and calcium and all that that kind of stuff is rain. not good for plants. Um, I have seen grass that has been watered hundreds of times, but it wouldn't grow because it was hard water. These plants can't absorb all that calcium because that's how hard water is. Hard water is water that has too much calcium in it that can't be absorbed in the water. It's, uh, it's not good. So he was probably testing the water to make sure that calcium was right, alkalinity was right, all that kind of stuff. Basically... All the kind of stuff I do at my job at the pool as a lifeguard. But yeah, he he was probably testing all that and making sure everything was good so that these plants can grow in the exact kind of environment they need to grow. And also like with the water, um, I know a lot of water that we water our plants at home with, um, that type of water has, sometimes it could have certain components like too much alkalinity or acidity or it could even have other types of um natural chemicals like it could have like magnesium and all yeah. that stuff too much and heavy metals. yeah heavy metals that's that's Bromine. a big problem uh-huh yep it is a big problem heavy metals and i'm sure that's another thing that's tested for but the other really good thing about this is now a lot of traditional big farms that a lot of farms are starting to stray away from this now, but they would use these huge sprinklers. And they would sprinkle water during the day, during the 100-degree weather. And the problem with that is that half of that water would just be instantly evaporated anyway. The moment it left the spigot or whatever, or the sprinkler, it would just immediately be evaporated because it's so hot out. So what these two systems of irrigation, drip irrigation and hydroponics, it almost immediately eliminates that issue because hydroponics is done in a controlled environment. I, I know that uh, in the video, it shows him doing it in a greenhouse. And with drip irrigation, that is done in the soil and that is still exposed to elements. However, the water is coming from underground. It's not coming from you know above ground or anything. It's all coming from underground. So none of that water is going to be able to be evaporated. It is all getting absorbed by the plant as it needs on its own basis and the two the two forms are really brilliant brilliant ways of of irrigating plants i mean hydroponics it it's really cool hydroponics is such a cool thing that 
I would love to see more uh, more farmers like invest in that because it is an expensive process at first. You have to do a lot of setting up. You got to buy a lot of stuff to set up hydroponics. Um, I don't know how much more expensive it is in drip irrigation, mm -hmm. but you also need to find the space for hydroponics too because that that does take up a good amount of space. I know in that video it was kind of clustered together, but that, those are also like smaller plants. Like imagine trying to do like a corn plant or something on uh, on hydroponics. That that would take up a lot of space. So it's definitely something really, really cool. And I would love to invest more like time and money into like into advancing hydroponics because it's one of the best things for the environment yeah. for growing because it wastes no water. No water is wasted in this that, process. That's the, that's the benefit of the doubt because like when you think about it, a lot of us, um, you, you don't know how m much um, water we're wasting just um, by... Um, use um running faucets or like mm -hmm. running like the washer or the dishwasher or really um washing dishes or anything like that yeah yeah exactly you know so much of the stuff is wasted but this is a totally sustainable way and i would really really love to see the future of hydroponics because it's it's got so much potential it's got so much potential in the future unfortunately however we do have to take a quick break from sustainable you We'll be right back on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Uh -oh. Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable U. Yeah! 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com live at Carney's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable U. I'm one of your hosts, Julissa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So in this fourth and last segment, we'll be talking about um, Lego and their Lego, and their um, goal is to go sustainable um, with their blocks made of sugar cane, and basically Lego they want the majority of their productions, um, uh, their products rather, to be sustainable by 2030. Wow! And they said on August 1st it launched its first sustainable Lego Lego um, brick um, campaign, I guess. The the new bricks were made of um, sugarcane plastic and are shaped as plants. That's super cool. See, like, I always love hearing that these new things that, well, really are old, but, like, there's these things being made out of totally organic and, you know, uh, environmentally friendly stuff. I never would have thought that I would see a Lego brick, which is very, very well known and infamous, if I do say, for being made out of plastic. Being made out of something really uh, sustainable, being yeah. sugarcane. I mean, I don't really even know how that works so much because I would assume that the block, it probably has a similar texture and feel as that of a traditional Lego block. I don't know how you make that out of sugarcane, though. You said they made it out of, like, uh, sugarcane plastic. like Sugarcane plastic. They mm. did that. I just think it's new, unique, like you um, said. Who would think that a sugar cane would be used to make a, a Lego toy? Because we're used to having it just plastic. See, I, I feel like maybe what they could have done to help at least um, reinforce the structural integrity of it is there's probably um, there's probably little tiny pieces of the sugarcane plant that's actually in it, and. They probably they probably put that in. They blend that in with the plastic mixture, and they put that in, and then they paint it. So then you can't really tell that there was actually like sugarcane bits in it, but it still has that same uh, that same plastic feel. I think yeah. I feel like that's probably what they did. But 
I gotta say, going back to what you said about they want the majority of their production to be uh, made out of this sugarcane block by 2030, Bro. that's ambitious. That's really, ambitious. that's super ambitious because I know this is a new technology that no no other place has tried to do something like this with making it out of, uh, you know, making it out of sugarcane. Now, I know Sun Chips, they make, they make their bags biodegradable. That's good. So I guess in some aspect, it's a little similar in the fact that Sun Chips made something biodegradable. They made their bag biodegradable. And now Lego is making their blocks biodegradable. Um, I wonder if that means that the Lego blocks are going to be like softer, maybe. Like maybe a little bit easier to break because I know the whole joke was midnight at night it's dark stepping on a lego block at night and you're in such pain because it's so hard i wonder if they're crushable now i wonder if they're actually like i mean like stepping on it i i don't know i'm just i'm just thinking i'm just thinking about certain things with with legos it's been quite a while since i've played with legos so this doesn't really affect me so much but this is great for the future generation to kids that maybe, love legos maybe put some tough one in it um, make it stronger, but that wouldn't be so sustainable. Wait, what is what is Teflon? I'm not sure even. I think it's some kind of strength they put in like tires or something. Maybe. I'm not I don't sure. Know. I'm going to have to look that up after this is over because Me I've, too. I've heard of Teflon. I'm, in my mind, I was thinking Kevlar at first, but Kevlar, they use that in bulletproof vests. I know they're not the same at all. They're totally different things. Um and they said the new blocks are they're 98% polyethylene and they said that's made from sugarcane. Oh and, wow. Um, that's that's like aka sugarcane plastic. Oh wow, okay. So that's how they're doing it. So I was I was totally wrong. I I went on a ramble about how they probably made these blocks and I was wrong with everything I just said. Well, it's good to know it's good to know at least I'm wrong rather than thinking I'm right this whole time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's crazy that they're actually able to extract this. It was polyurethane, you said, right? Polyurethane, uh, polyethylene, polyethylene. Yeah. Oh, uh, polyurethane is a thing too. Okay, um, polyethylene. Yes, I ethanol in it. Yeah, well, ethanol, ethanol is actually. Hmm, it probably has something to do. It probably has some sort of fossil fuel in it because. Plastic has a fossil fuel in it, technically. Plastic is derived from fossil fuels. It's it's derived from oils. Um, so maybe this is still derived from oils in some way, but just they found a way to extract parts of the sugarcane and make it a big component structurally in the new Lego block. And um, sugar, as you know, burnt sugar is caramel. That's and true. You, and you could make actually, you could actually make kind of, it kind of has a waxy consistency and that might have a little bit of oil in it. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I was, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, it's probably crazy, but I, I was yeah. thinking maybe they took some sugar and put it in the mix because sugar's like sticky, right? You would think it keeps things together. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they put actually sugar in the mix with the whole thing with making the blocks and that helps kind of bind everything together and that makes her a much greener solution than using straight up plastic yeah that that could very well actually be what they did maybe maybe i'm not so crazy maybe i'm not as crazy as i think i am i mean i feel crazy i feel crazy living in a day and age i mean i'm grateful but i feel crazy knowing that 
there are these blocks made out of sugarcane now. I mean, it's crazy. It's just, it's so cool that something that was definitely made 100% out of plastic is now made out of basically a plant. Now, obviously, these aren't going to be edible. Not like you're going to, that'd be cool, though, if you could eat Lego blocks. I mean, like, they probably make, they definitely make, like, candy that you can eat that are shaped like Lego blocks. That should be a future thing that Lego should do. Lego should make their own line of candy so that... Actually, that's a terrible idea. No, no I or take that back. Gummy, um, Lego gummies or like no. Lifesaver gummies. Okay, if they're gummies, if they're gummies, that's a little different. But I still... I, I take back what I said. That's a terrible idea. Because if little kids eat the candy, they might actually eat the real thing. So disregard yeah. everything I just said. Making Lego candy is not a good idea. That is not a good idea. I take back everything I just said. But yeah, I think it's really cool looking at where technology is really taking us with being able to make basically anything out of anything. Like, I feel like basically anything that we see now in, you know, anywhere we go, we can make out of anything, really. They make rice paper. I mean, they make paper out of rice. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um... I, I can't even I can't even think uh I mean they make cars out of plastic now they make cars out of plastic I mean 3d printing really even if you think about 3d printing you can make almost anything out of 3d printing that's all made out of plastic really and I know we're I know we're talking about plastic here and I should not be glorifying plastic but I just want to take a second and kind of just thank technology because honestly, 3D printing does have a lot to do with where the future is bringing us. 3D printing is the future. It really is the future. Mm. And I, I do think that there are greener uh, alternatives to, like, the plastic beads because they basically use this plastic powder in 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a computer program set up to make whatever you want. And then the machine, it compresses that super hard and heats it. So it, it turns into exactly what you want. Um, I, there's def, there's got, I know there's definitely greener alternatives to that traditional plastic that's used in that. And eventually at one point we can 3d print almost anything imaginable and we can know that we're making it green. We can know that we're making it green because we're making it out of material that is recyclable and biodegradable and good for the environment. And it's got me really looking forward to the future for what, Number one, 3D printing. And two, I'm looking forward to what Legos can bring to the future too because this is a huge step. I think other companies are really going to follow suit with it. I think it's great. It's a big, big step in the future. And they're going to lead the future in what happens with like any product being made. Unfortunately, however, we are out of time on this episode of Sustainable U. We will be back at the same time next week on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. You just heard the best tips on how to be sustainable. So go ahead and spread the gospel of green. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Sustainable You. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. If you want to listen to any replay editions, go to 1077thebronc.com and click on the Sustainable You tab on the homepage. You can even subscribe to our podcast. Just simply search Sustainable You on iTunes. Sustainable You is underwritten in part by Terhoon Orchards, 330 
Colt Soil Road, Lawrence. 200 acres of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Rider University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green. Team Toyota of Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market, open all year round. Join us again for next week's edition of Sustainable You on Saturday at 9 a.m. and be one step closer to saving the earth without a carbon footprint left behind. Only on 1077 The Bronx.